0: Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to On Point. This episode, Greg Poole and I tackle the Bomar Nose Button. And we talk a lot about why, where, what, when, you know, all about the nose button. Because I was really skeptical going into this, called Greg, and then got the go-ahead from him to order it. Because I just didn't know, you know, why. Why was this a thing now, if this was so important? And he does a great job of really answering all those kinds of questions. With his background in the archery uh, industry, of shooting especially, Uh, A lot of great insight here. So I appreciate his time. And you can always go out and check his stuff at BoJunkieMedia, BoJunkieMedia.com. And uh, yeah, give him a follow. He has a great podcast over over there as well. If you guys haven't yet and you want to check out the podcast website, www.onpointpodcast.com. It will pop up. I would love to have your email. Eventually, I I will have a newsletter with discount codes and all sorts of cool things, updates on what kind of content I'm working on. And promise it won't be spammy. It'll be stuff that you will, will you will find useful, and it will save you money. So uh, that will be www.onpointpodcast.com. Or if you want to help out in a different way, you can leave us a review on iTunes or Podbean or however you want, man. So uh, we love to have your support on there as well. So uh, without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the Bomar Nose Button episode, and I will see you at the end.
1: By God, whatever. <laughs> You think you can swing it, bring it.
0: Dude, well, I'll tell you, the conversation you and I had yesterday, and I told you, is like, this should be a freaking podcast. Like, why do <laughs> all my best conversations happen on the phone
1: when I'm not recording? <laughs> right. No, man, I mean, it was a good conversation. Um, one of the things that I appreciate about you, especially being in the position that you have worked yourself into, is unlike a lot of people that I see on the, on the interwebs, the you know a lot of those people, uh, you know they they want to make uh, videos that purport themselves to be an expert or experienced on something or give some sort of opinion, but it's obvious they aren't. It's obvious that they aren't. It's obvious that they don't really know. And to to someone like me, it literally sounds like they read the back of the package and then just reformatted <laughs> that to say it on a YouTube video. Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. So one of the things I appreciate about you is, and, 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 and I like this is that when you have a question, you just call and ask like, Hey, what do you know about this? Right. And I'll either be like, yeah, that's, I don't really mess with that stuff too much. You'll be like, all right, cool. Or like yesterday when you called about the nose button. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, we can have those conversations, but I appreciate the fact that you actually take the time to inform yourself before you try to put out your given product Uh, i
0: i man that's a huge compliment i appreciate it and and you know when people i I have a product that people don't at that i don't have experience with i'm like give me a month or two months or give me a hunting season (laughs) let me hunt with it and then i'll tell you you know right um so i i I appreciate that and if and now that i have like access to guys like you man it's like man it, it 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 Saves me time on either not wasting my time on a product because I've been putting this nose button thing off for since it came out. I'm like, "Eh, man, I don't need that. And then I'm like, well, that's kind of against what I'm about because I'm like, I'm always trying to test and find gear and, and, and increase my capabilities as a shooter. And then why am I completely flicking my nose up at a product that could make me a better shooter? Because I think I have perfect form. Man, you don't even know if you're not anchoring the same correctly every time unless someone points it out to you or you're or you're videotaping every shot in slow-mo. Like, how do right. you know? And the general, and so after I consciously was aware that I was doing that, I'm like, okay, I need to really take a look at this. Levi Morgan's shooting it. There's other guys that I know that I like as shooters are shooting it. Uh, I'm going to see what Greg thinks. And sure. then, so you're like, um, hey, man, I'm thinking about buying this. I texted you is this thing legit or not? I'll buy it. If you tell me, yes, you're like, buy it. I'm like, fuck, all right, well, right. Yeah, spend the $20. And so I got it called you the, the day that it arrived. Still haven't put it on my bow. I'm at the range when we finally start talking and, um, and pretty quickly sold me on the idea that as a shooter and somebody that loves to shoot longer, longer distances, and I haven't done it in a, in a year or two, but shoot, you know, we're talking long distances, 200 plus yards for fun. Um, hmm that this would, this would up my game and, sure. and for even the 80 yard shots and, and 120, which is pretty common for guys like you. And, and I like to shoot that far. Um, it definitely ups your game there and, and just helps you as a shooter. And so why wouldn't I at least give it a try for 20 bucks? I've spent more money on products that didn't do shit for me. So, <laughs> you know, uh, right. So long we story short, I'm seeing this, uh, the same mentality that I have. I'm like, I don't need that. or, I I just use the tip on my nose. I just use the string. I do this. I do that. I have a kisser button. It's just the same thing as a kisser. I'm like, man, there's a lot of pushback against something that people really aren't giving the time of day. And so I didn't want to do that. And, and after talking to you yesterday, I'm glad I pulled the trigger on it and I am shocked. And, And matter of fact, you know, conspiracy theory here, it's, it's on my freaking Facebook feed. Now, after I talked to you about it yesterday, it showed up on my Facebook feed. So
1: I, I, that (laughs) happens to me. I, I have literally ran experiments with that where I will like, so my, my main man on Bo Junkie is August Peters. He is the guy who makes the manifestations that I visualize in my mind come to fruition. Mm. Cause I don't make what you see from Bo Junkie. Uh, I can't create that crap. I'm not. That's not me. I I can see it up here. Mm-hmm. So I will literally, for instance. So I called him about a week and a half ago, and we were talking about walkie talkies, just some <laughs> random shit, <laughs> like literally. Uh, are they? Because my whole thing was I was wondering because I uh, some friends here got some, and I was because they're talking about the distance, and I'm like, well, so are these going to a satellite or are these just that powerful? Is ten miles line of sight in the Sahara Desert, or is that yeah. ten miles in the mountains? I mean, like
0: I just cut them in half. Whatever they say in half, and that's typically what they do, unless you're out on
1: the ocean, <laughs> right? And so, so I called August, and I'm like, "Hey, so we start hour one hour later." And I even really? told him uh-huh. one hour later. He sends me a screenshot of a <laughs> Facebook ad for no shit walkie talkies. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the they and that's Facebook us. and Google's artificial intelligence monitoring for keywords is what that is. Hundred percent.
0: But uh, well, let's get it. Let's get into this nose button here, man. So is this thing legit, and is it worth the money? Period.
1: Well, short answer: Is it worth the money? Hell yes, because it's only twenty bucks.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, for me, when when now I saw Levi Morgan with this. A year ago at vegas so before it was even out i saw levi morgan with it and i was like huh that's interesting so then josh bomar called i did a podcast with josh and so for me there's things like i told you yesterday there's you know having done this as long as i've done it things have to pass the smell test Mm -hmm. and just like anything else if it smells like shit and it looks like shit it's probably shit so it has to pass the smell test, and for me, it, with a product like this, that involves math. Math does it does it math out, and so for me, it was pretty simple um, to look at it and start figuring out the basically the triangulation of because there's there's three three points that we're dealing with the sight, the peep, and then either a kisser button, a nose button, wherever you put your nose on the string, whatever those three create a triangle and so for me i was thinking okay what's going to make that the most repeatable what's going to make it the you know the most consistent Mm -hmm. and which is going to be most manageable as i work through the different yardage variables that i have well simple math would tell you and i'll just use a basic number if it's four inches at brace height from your peak to your kisser button and it's two inches from your peep to a nose button, that's already better math. Period. Just simple. You can write that in crayon. Mm -hmm. It's just better math to begin with. So I'm like, okay, well, it passes that triangulation math. Um, So then what happens after that? Well, now we start getting into, and, and, and I'll talk about some of the the ingrained variables of the instant feedback, meaning there's certain things that happen throughout the shot. And if you don't have certain kinds of feedback, it compounds the problem, whether it's a change in grip, whether it's a change in string tension, too much nose pressure, not enough. Mm -hmm. All of these things in the shot, how hard you pull into the bow, if you've creeped forward in the valley, all of those things in and of themselves all create roots or waves and they all create other problems that compound other problems and once one starts it's not like it ends there it's not like when you draw back and you're like oh my front hand position doesn't feel the same oh it's okay it just doesn't feel the same uh okay <laughs> uh you now have a avalanche of collateral things that are going to start to compound on each other if your grip doesn't feel the same that means your grip pressure is not the same. So your cam timing might be off. You're not going to hold as well. You might affect the knock travel of the bow if you're healing. I mean, so you can literally go down a myriad of other issues that can take place from one thing happening and I'll get to that. So Mm -hmm. as I continued down the math of this, you know, I was like, okay, well, how wide is a string? Well, depending on, the, how many strands you have and all that stuff, you know, generally speaking, you know, you're going to be probably in the 90, maybe a hundred thou, depending on what you're talking about. Well, that is a round surface. And so people be like, well, that's the string, super skinny. Um, Okay. Well, then you put that on the end of your nose, which is generally for most of us, not a round surface like the other. And so you're going to have the variable of not placing your nose directly behind that string perfectly, mathematically Mm -hmm. every single time. So then you're going to have to solely rely on your visual acuity to perfectly line up the peep and the scope. Well, we all know we're human. So sometimes our eyes will lie to us. If the sun's coming in from the left or the right, or if we're out in the sun and our peep looks tiny, or if we go into the dark and our peep looks huge, so our eyes are their own; they're their own little organism, and they do what they want to do, and we can't control that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other things about the eyes is they're the first thing on the body to run out of oxygen. So if you're aiming at full draw and your eyes, and you know sometimes when you aim too long, your eyes will start to burn. That is your very first indication that you're running out of oxygen. Interesting. That's how that works. That's why a lot of people blink a lot because it keeps things oxygen. Uh, keeps the eyes full of oxygen before they actually go into the process. Now guys like Jesse Broadwater, Chance, Bobeth, Levi, these guys are blinking pretty consistently throughout their shot. Yeah. I'm not at that level. <laughs> so, if I was, I blink, so I'm trying
0: to think if I blink through my shot, I'm like, I don't think I blink that much.
1: <laughs> correct. Correct. And so breathing and air is huge and getting it to your eyes is huge as well. So, okay. So if the string just say for argument's sake is a hundred thousand, or even 90. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. That is the width you are working at to consistently place your nose directly behind that string. Now, at full draw, depending on the poundage and stuff, but basically the string has, I don't know, 12 to 16 pounds of tension on it at full draw. Well, that's not a lot at all. So any pressure you put onto that string at full draw is going to have an adverse effect is basically going to bend the string, right? Because you're holding it with your D loop and you're holding that tight. It goes up to the cam, but when you push on your, on the nose with your, uh, the string with your nose, you are basically deflecting that string. So if you're coming in from the side, you're going to induce left, right, knock travel. If you're pushing too hard from the back, one shot to the next, you're going to, in you know, you're going to change things. And so when I started thinking about that math, I'm like, okay, well, How small, how small around is a kisser button? They're huge.
0: Yeah, it's like the rings around (laughs) a planet, you know? Right, they're
1: gigantic. Yeah. They're gigantic. So I'm like, okay, well, mathematically, you have the tip of this Bomar nose button, which is tiny. One of the cool things about those is if you think it's too uh, sharp on the end, you can just take a little lighter and just put a little heat to it and Hmm. just don't overdo it, I guess, but... Um, you, you can micro tune the end of that if you'd like, but however small the end of that is, is very small. It's probably good Lord. I don't know, probably 15, 20 thou. So now you're going from a nose reference point of 15 to 20 thou to a string of a hundred. So which one of those is going to be more precise?
0: Well, a hundred, the sharp, and it's also sharper. You get a more sensory feedback from having that duller rounder.
1: Strength. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a reduced feedback with the, with the wider string. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I'm like, okay, well the math of, of the, of the reference point makes sense. You're going from a what quarter inch kisser button that goes into a soft spot on your mm-hmm. mouth that has less, uh, less immediate feedback to you than the end of your nose to a, what's going to probably be about a thousandths end of the button on the end of your nose, (coughs) excuse me, which is going to give you immediate feedback, which we'll talk about the immediate feedback as well. So once again, math, math worked. That makes total sense. So now instead of going with a hundred thousand string, trying to center on your nose, you've now reduced that by what, six, you know, five or six times. I don't know the actual diameter at the end of one of those little points on there, but it's pretty small. Mm -hmm. So mathematically that makes sense. Um, You know, one of the other things, and I don't have any here to measure, but how much does a kisser button weigh? Oh, I don't know. 20 grains, grains? 20
0: grains. Yeah. I've never weighed one.
1: Yeah. They're, they're, they're not small and they're Mm. not light. Mm. It's literally like putting another peep in your string. Mm. And so, now you have this 15, 20-grain kisser button in there. Well, how much does the Bomar nose button it's weigh? It's got to be I less that, than that. Yeah, well, I know that the large one is two grains. That's it? Huh? <laughs> yes. So the small ones, holy crap, and it's way smaller. So the oh, small yeah. one's got to be three-quarters of a grain. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's virtually nothing. So now you're taking more weight off of your string. If you're using a kisser button, if you're not using one at all and you put on the small or the large kisser button, you have added so little weight. You're not going to have any adverse effects to your tune. It's not going to change your speed. So once again, math, right? Math, math wins. Makes sense. Now. Yeah. So now all of a sudden you have no changes in the chrono, no changes in tune. And if you're using the kisser button, you have now gained Probably eighteen grains. If you went to the large one, if you went to the small one, it's going to be even more. And so, once again, math math plays that role. Um, So as I start working through through these things, I start wondering to myself, okay. Now, there's a difference between a gadget and a gimmick. (laughs) This is something we talked about yesterday. Yes, it is. (laughs) And so, so we all and look, I have a box downstairs that's full of gadgets, very, very few gimmicks. I stopped, I I got off the gimmick train a good 10, 12 years ago. But as archers, we are easily sold wolf tickets. (laughs) Let's just be honest here. Marketing does its job. People are like, oh my God, I got to have it. How many releases do most archers have? Oh, this one's going to cure my target panic. No, 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 it's not.
0: A bag I, I mean, yeah. there should be a website on buy, sell, and trade releases. I'm sure there probably already is, but.
1: <clears throat> <clears throat> right. And so now we're just talking about, you know, more along those lines of passing the smell test. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this long enough. And of course I'm not, you know, a Levi or a Jesse, but I've been doing this a long time. So it's a lot, It's it's easier for me at this point to just look at something and just run through my internal process. It involves math. It involves, you know, what can go wrong? Uh, what could this do? What could be some of the downfalls? And look, any time <laughs> that you are talking about any product, you have to consider any potential negatives. You have to. It's just the way it works. Mm-hmm. So the only real negative that I could come up with on, on, the, on the nose button was if you didn't tie it on properly. hmm which I'm, and it comes with strength. It comes with serving. I mean, it comes with what you need to do it. Correct. But yeah. So to, so to lots of things I'll, in archery. And as you're saying this, I'm
0: going to look up a comment, a couple comments on my Instagram that were negative uh, against this product. Okay. And, and then we can yeah walk you, you through bet. those, but keep going, keep
1: going. Yeah. yeah. So, so the only real negative that I could come up with was that if it was not installed properly, mm-hmm, and it did one of two things: it moved, or it flew off. Though that's really it. I can't I can't really come up with any other scenarios where having the nose button on is going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. And user error. There is no, you know, there is no uh, there is no Newton's law that circumvents user error. So other than that, and even in that kind of se- scenario you would still be able to function as opposed to a lot of other products if they fail you're done so i couldn't really come up with many tangible negatives when it came to the nose button so i just had to keep working down the process of you know how is it going to math how is it going to how is it going to pass the smell test and so once i work myself through those then it just comes down to basic you know how how are you going to set it up and like i mentioned to you yesterday. Um, I, I think the first thing a person wants to do is you want to get your your peep set to your zero, whatever that may be. And by that, I mean, when you're sitting at a predetermined yardage, whether you have a, a five pin, seven pin, or a single pin on a slider, or whatever it may be, if you stand at this given yardage and you draw your bow with your eyes closed, anchor in, settle in, everything's perfect, and you open your eyes, you are looking through your peep, at that particular distance. That is your zero. Mm-hmm. Obviously for indoors we all set our peep at 20. We're right. We're not shooting any other yardages. But when you step out and start shooting field or you shoot step out and shoot reading where you're out to 100 yards, if you set your peep at 20, you are going to play hell being accurate at 80 to 100 yards because your peep is going to be it's just as the site goes down, you're going to have to really uh Work to you know keep things centered there. So most of us will set our peep for a reading field type stuff at maybe sixty five yards or so. Meaning we'll stand at sixty five, draw back, eyes closed, open up, and we're looking through our through our peep and through our sight at sixty five yards. Right. That's our zero. At that point, I would then recommend installing the nose button. Um, I wouldn't necessarily tie it in like super duper hardcore for life until you have it adjusted exactly where you need it. And once again, I would use that blind test, draw back, set it up. And then when you get your nose onto the nose button, which we will get into that now, as far as that, that feedback goes, you know, right now, you, you, you know immediately. And so once you get that, the relationship between the nose button and your peep becomes very intimate as they are pretty much linked linked forever unless you are in some hardcore, you know, unless you're in some <laughs> scenario that requires you to defend your life or make some upside-down shot around the tree stand, leaning down, left-handed. I mean, unless it's extreme, mm-hmm. those two are now basically going to be what I would consider paired.
0: So I want to stop you and talk about proper setup for sliders because that seems to be what's hanging most people up. And I think it centers around peep uh, alignment at 20 yards versus sighting it in in peep alignment um, for initial setup versus the Mm -hmm. 60, 50 yards like you were talking about. Um, Guys are running into issues um, with the product. uh, These are a few comments here um, uh, where they're losing the anchor or it's not working for them at longer ranges. Because I think, like you just said, at 20 with the peep being – aligned at 20 um they're 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 causing some issues there how would you go about telling them how to fix that
1: the very first thing i would say (coughs) is where is your peep zeroed at that is the most important um if your peep is zeroed at 20 and you set your peep at 20 you then set the nose button up accordingly as you slide that slider down to 50 60 70 yards Mm -hmm you you have now artificially influenced that triangulation to where the distance between the peep and the nose button is not enough to remain consistent with those two with those two married points to triangulate with your sight and so the only thing you would you the only thing you could do at that point is you would have to move your you would have to move your your anchor Hmm. that's all there is to it you would have to not use the nose button for those shots and that that is not the whole purpose so when properly set up, you are – now, look, you reference 200 yards. And if you're out there shooting for shits and giggles at 200 <laughs> yards, I'm not sure there's a setup for the nose button that's, gonna, that's going to allow you uh, to do that for yeah. fun.
0: And when I'm so doing just, that, I'm aiming literally – I right. don't know – A hundred feet above in the trees, you know, like I'm aiming, I'm not aiming at the target. So maybe I should have clarified that, you know, when I shot 330 yards, um, a few years ago for the record, I was aiming at a mountain behind the target. (laughs) Literally. Exactly. And so, yeah, I just, maybe we should clarify that up, but yeah.
1: um, Well, and, and that's part of the triangulation. Now, if in that scenario you are setting your sight on x distance Mm. and you are simply aiming at such a huge angle that you're aiming at the top (laughs) of some mountain on that over there well yes then the nose button's gonna help but if you like jesse broadwater that that some bitch can dial in like a buck 55 normal i'm jealous Like yes like before his arrow hits the scope it's like a buck 55 so he either has a super long horse head yeah or he or he anchors his uh hand low on his face, whatever he does, Jesse, don't stop doing it.
0: I and, wonder if he's using, like, instead of using the knuckle middle finger, if he's going down to, like, the uh, pinky ring finger and then anchoring like that somehow.
1: Well, I, I think because he shot that that two-finger click for such a long time, I uh-huh. think he does hold it a little bit lower on his face, mm. which which allows him to effectively have a higher peep and, and yeah. get that kind of yardage. But but if you're making what we will consider trick shots fun shots like at those distances Mm -hmm. if you are setting your sight on a actual sight tape and just aiming incredibly high then yes the the nose button will help with that consistency as well um but if you are legitimately like trying to you know put in two peeps or put one uh, up by your cam (laughs) yeah yeah, right exactly (laughs) then then you're kind of on your own yeah um But, you know, as with anything, setup is incredibly important and understanding that that triangulation relationship of pairing the, the, the nose button and the peep is, is incredibly important. And if that's not done, it's going to have a diminishing effect as you move forward with the entire process. Makes sense. So, you know, so once we understand that, you know, and let me back up and talk a little bit about sensitivity of surfaces. Kisser buttons are huge, they're round, and they're radiused. There is no, there is no surface on there that's going to give you that back-in-the-day father knuckle on the head to get your attention type thing. <laughs> right. uh, the nose button, if you slam your face down into that uh, string too tight with the nose button, it will give you that instant feedback. So, But the, the corner of the mouth is not very sensitive, and it's not very rigid. So if you have a nose button, that nose button can move up and down on your lips and you're not necessarily going to know that because it's very pliable. The end of your nose is not. The end of your nose is cartilage, it's fairly rigid. And for this application, it's going to be a much more consistent uh, way to anchor than the corner of your mouth. And that's just what it is. And that's not a slide on Aaron Snyder and the Bearbow guys. Love y'all. This is, this is a whole other conversation entirely. However, stay tuned. But, um, so, uh, so as we start realizing that mathematically, we start validating and invalidating certain aspects of this smell test simply through the shop, through the thought process itself, through the analogy of this, you know, using our experience, using practical archery knowledge, we can get through a big part of this process before we even, you know, thinking wise before we even put the nose button on. And that's, I get sent so many products and emails and God, dude, I'm under like 120 non-disclosures. It's ridiculous. Oh, Jesus. So well, cause everyone's like, well, Hey, I want you to look at this product f- for me. And I'll be like, I'll send you a non-disclosure. Oh, I trust you. I don't need it. Oh no, 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 It's not for you. It's for me. Because if you're out there showing this to 50 people and someone either steals it rats you out does whatever you're going to know it wasn't me because i made you sign a non-disclosure so it's for me more than interesting interesting okay and so i mean i get i get asked about that many products a year that i have to protect myself because as we all know uh originality in archery has been waning for some time and if you have a good idea. It's not a matter of if someone steals it, it's when. And Hmm. so when when guys or gals are out there shopping ideas, um, I have to protect myself from the potential blowback of, okay, I showed it to 10 people, I showed it to pool, and now somebody else is using it. Even if I don't even know the other person, it's just for my own protection. So the thought process of validating products before you get to that certain stage is very important to me because it saves time. Um, So as I've worked through, uh, you know, these positives and these, these math validations, um, then I start getting to the practical application of it. And let me say this, I've known, and I've been a pro, I've known pretty much all the pros and I've been a pro for a long, long time there while they're, like I said yesterday, There is an amount of money you could pay a pro to use something that makes them worse, but Oprah is not involved in archery, and that (laughs) amount of money is huge. So there are no pros that I'm aware of or I have ever met who will put something on their bow that is going to make them worse, period. Especially not guys like Levi Morgan. Right. I mean, he's the goat of 3D archery. There, There is no amount of money that you're going to pay Levi Morgan to be like, Hey dude, just put this on your bow. And if he thinks it didn't help him, it's not going on there money or not. So that is something, you know, look, and as people go, you know, talk about bows and arrows and stabilizers. Hey man, look, Jesse Broadwater has shot 30 X's in Vegas with every thing he's ever shot regardless. So that's not what we're talking about. So, um, so I started, you know, I asked Levi, and this is one of the things that's been interesting to me. I filmed some stuff for, for Josh in uh, at the first IBO, and I talked to Joby Shaw, Chris Hacker, and and Levi, all pros who are using it. Um, I did see several other pros pick them up there. Um, that I will, that's not my business to say who they are, but that'll come out eventually. But um, I found it interesting, and this is something that I think I mentioned to you yesterday is the benefits of the nose button are going to be directly proportional to your ability. Meaning Levi Morgan is not going to get 10 points of improvement a weekend. It's not happening. He doesn't have that much room for improvement. That's just what it is. Levi Morgan is looking for one point, maybe just one point because like you know, when I was talking to Levi, I said, do you remember that time you won that 3D event and got $25,000 six years ago at that one shoot? And he's like, no, of course not. (laughs) You don't remember the wins. And I said, how many of your losses by one point do you remember? And he said, every single one. Mm -hmm. He remembers every single time he lost by a point. Oh, yeah. Because in his mind, he's like, well, what, could I, what did I do to not get one point? What could I have done to gain that one point? One point cost me 20 grand. So he doesn't remember all the wins. I mean, I'm sure he remembers some of the wins, but oh, yeah. he remembers every time he lost by one point. And well, Levi is convinced, especially because of shooting Vegas <laughs> with it, that the nose button will allow him to potentially not lose that one point
0: that totally makes sense and talking about you know goat statuses I was listening to this thing um interview and it, I think it was this might have been Tom Brady but he says I hate losing more than I love winning correct and it's like man you know and I'm like how, how does that apply to me I'm like well I I hate missing more than I love hitting and correct. for me that's like okay that that's how I identify with that that's how I relate to that and because I remember my misses, my complete failures. I remember when I mm-hmm. sailed, you know, an arrow 20 feet over the 20 yard target, because I was learning how to use a hinge, you know, like, right. I remember done that. Yeah. Yep. And, but you know, like the, like the shots yesterday, um, I was talking about hitting that little orange dot at 80, but there was one arrow and it was actually labeled number one that kept hitting about four to six inches higher than all those. And out of my whole shooting session, that is still what's in my head is that one arrow that kept Correct. missing. So, I I completely get it. And so for a shooter like me, I'm going to notice a much bigger difference because I have that room for efficiency and accuracy to be gained versus a guy like a Levi Morgan or a Jesse Broadwater, because they're talking, you know, that extra 1% and I'm looking at maybe gaining that extra 20,
1: 30, 40%. Right. (laughs) Well, right. And, and even amongst the 1%, there's levels to it. Let's just be honest. Mm. I'm in the 1%. I ain't in the 1% like Jesse and Levi. <laughs> right. They're at the top of the 1%. Oh yeah. I'm at the bottom of the 1%. But a lot of us are in the 1%, but there's levels within that. And you want to know where the, you want to know what separates those levels? What's between your ears.
2: Hmm.
1: Confidence. It's not necessarily ability, it's not and it's certainly not tuning. Out of one more, uh, it's not tuning. Um, it's it's all between the ears. So being a one percenter is great. That doesn't mean you make a living at this. Hmm. There's thousands of one percenter's out there, but are you at the top of the one percent food chain? And that's where Levi and Jesse and these guys live. And so for them, not only will they never put something on their bow that will make their job harder. They will do anything, and they will try anything to gain that one point. If I told Levi Morgan, "Hey bro, wear these pink edible panties and then eat them afterwards, and you'll gain one you will gain one point per event." He would literally have a case of edible pink panties, and he would wear them every day, and he would eat them at the end of the event if it legitimately made him think he got one more point. That's how important one single point is Danny McCarthy and Levi Morgan have went through an entire 3d season, every event and been one point apart. Really? So how important is one point? It's everything. It's everything at that level. And so, and so I started thinking, okay, um, none of these guys use kisser buttons. None. Right very 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 rarely do you see anybody on the pro level with a kisser button there's a couple generally speaking your guys who are shooting extremely long draw lengths for their body so they need that extra alignment on the back end because that is historically that is one of the things of a kisser button is it does help you if you're shooting a bow that's an inch and a half or 2 inch too long in draw length because you're anchoring way back here your string is is and so you, you have some of those entrenched issues so a kick kisser button that's kind of in my opinion where that came from. I can remember it you know Marie Auude's shop AMA in Clama Falls Oregon. I can remember way back in the day watching these guys come in and most of them had kisser buttons and when I watch them draw they're like hands behind their head and mm-hmm. I'm like damn bro what's uh, what what's your drawing? Oh, I'm 31 and a half. Well, <laughs> what's your how tall you? are you? <laughs> yeah, how how tall are you? Five eight. Uh, well, you can't scratch your kneecaps without bending over, so there's no way your draw length should be that. Right. And so, as you start to help this person or whoever it may, you know, generally hunters, as you help them start to get their form back into shape via their draw length, when you get them back to where they need to be, guess what's not? Guess what doesn't fit in the corner of their mouth anymore?
0: Oh, yeah. Just
1: the kisser true. button. Yep. It's now it, because they're now up because their form is now more proper. The kisser button's not necessarily where they need it anymore, and so that's just kind of that deal. So when I talked to Levi and Chris Hacker and Joby, I found it interesting that each one of them kind of gave a different uh, opinion on how it helped them. For instance, Levi, his big thing was, and I know P- people are going to laugh. You're welcome to ask Levi this when you see him at an event. I don't know if if Josh has used the video yet or whatever, but Levi says, and this cracks me up, that when his shot goes long, he tends to start bringing his head up and out of the peak. Hmm. Well, that's a lot coming from the goat of 3D archery. Like, for Levi Morgan to say that, it should really resonate with archers because, first of all, they probably, a lot of them do it, but for Levi to say, with his resume, that one of his problems has been his head coming up and out of the peep as the shot goes long. Well, now we're going to get into the immediate uh, mental feedback of what the of what it can do, uh, what the nose button can do versus versus the uh, kisser, because the kisser is round, radiused, in a less sensitive part of the part of the face, so you're not going to get that feedback before the shot breaks. So basically what happens in the instance of Levi Morgan is as his head starts to come out of the peep, he's not going to feel the nose button anymore because of that 15, 15 ish. If you measure the tip of a Bomar <laughs> nose button and it's not 15 thousands, email Garrett. It's always,
2: <laughs> right.
1: um, it's, it's small, but as you start to raise your head out of the peep, you're going to know instantly, oh, wait. I don't feel that on my nose anymore. I'm doing something wrong. And so that is really what it's allowed Levi to do is as his head starts to come up and he feels that nose button, not on his nose anymore. He get before the shot happens. He now has that feedback to make a correction. Hmm. And the reason that that's so, you know, cause I'm sure there's a lot of people out there going, well he's good enough. If he just sticks with it, it'll go in there sometimes, Levi doesn't care about sometimes Levi cares about one time because one time can cost Levi Morgan, 20 grand, one arrow, one shot, one point can cost Levi 20 grand. So having that instant feedback now, now we're going to kind of talk about these tentacles that, that grow out from mistakes that you don't realize you're making before the shot happens. And so as he starts to bring his head off the, off the, off of the uh, nose button, a couple things are happening. He's reducing the tension on the, on the, on the string by not giving it that however much force he's putting onto it. He's now changed that the centering of his uh, peep to scope has now changed. Now, depending on how Levi's actually bringing his head up and out of the peep can mean he's changing that left and right, or he's changing it up and down. Right or both. Right. I I don't I don't know which it is. It could vary. I don't necessarily know. So, as that starts to happen, those are two effects of what raising your hep, head up out of the peep can do. The other thing it can do is it it can change your hold because your head alignment has a lot to do with how well you're able to hold the bow. So now what? Now you're you're affecting the hold of the bow. Another factor. This would be number 4. Well, for most of us, you're holding your release and your release hand against the side of your face. So if your head is moving and coming back, guess what's happening to the release? Right. Same thing. So now those are just four quick things that can grow roots and tentacles from bringing your nose up and off the... If you heard that, by the way, that was Lucy snoring. That wasn't me. Lucy's getting after it. Well, I'm, I'm um, moving my head back, and I'm
0: thinking if I if I start moving my head back, that kind of automatically starts raising my shoulder as well, and that'll change your yes. grip, and that'll change – I mean, it's, it's just a cascading effect.
1: Bingo. Exactly right. And that is what this – and that's what the nose button will allow you to do is have that instant feedback to where you can make one correction to potentially avoid, like you said, a cascade of other issues. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is once you start to bring that head up off and you lose that connection to the nose button, all of those other cascading issues all happen at the same time. It's not like, oh, I brought it up. Well, my, my release hand hasn't moved yet. Nope, already has. My shoulder position, ha- nope, already has. Well, my hand, posi- nope, already has. Everything happens instantly. So how many of those things actually affect the shot? That's a whole nother matter. Um Conversely, when you start talking about uh, Chris Hacker and Joby, both of those guys said the ability to maintain my centering of my peep has an- increased exponentially. So is talking about his head coming up and off the string, which, believe it or not, is actually a bigger movement and what could be considered a bigger error than just losing the centering of your peep. Mm. So what Chris and Joby were talking about is being able to use that 15,000 ish diameter point on the button to center on their nose, which is going to be a much more minute centering than if they were putting it onto a 90 to a hundred thousands wide string. So different effects on different shooters, but all at the pro level and all kind of getting a little different experience from it. Chris, i I might get this backwards. I don't remember, but uh, Chris Hacker and Joby both said it helped them with up and down or left and right misses. I don't remember which one said which, but for the sake of argument, uh, Chris Chris said it helped him uh, with his up and down misses and Joby said it helped him with lefts and rights. I might have that switched, but mm-hmm. you get the point. So I found it was incredibly interesting to, you know, unlike a lot of things, you you put something on your bow and the person's like, oh, it helped me tune better, or it helped me this. Well, that's universal. If you put a really good set of gas bow strings on your, on your bow, once you get them set and dialed, feedback is pretty much going to be universal. Cam timing doesn't change. My peep doesn't rotate. My servings don't separate. That's going to be feedback. Mm-hmm. That's the proper feedback for a string. If you're talking about, you know, any other products, most every other product on the bow, the feedback is going to be universal because it's doing its intended job for the mechanical function of the equipment. What the nose button does, it is, it is, it actually works to, you know, with the individual needs of the archer for whatever their particular flaw might be. And that's, and that's a huge thing. Now, when you start talking about putting too much face pressure right. on the string, well, that's something that the nose button's going to resolve pretty damn quick because while pain is relative, no one's going to want to be shoving right. that 15,000th point into the end of their nose too hard because it's going to give you that feedback of this Ow. doesn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ow, this, this doesn't feel good. This is, this is hurting me to the point I'm thinking about it. And if I'm thinking about it because it's hurting me, it's probably too much. So you will literally be able to throughout your shot, make that instantaneous nano adjustment of going, okay, I'm pushing, I'm pushing my head down into the string too hard. I need to, I need to back up a little bit. And it happens instantaneously. Your mind does it because of that feedback. And it's the two feedbacks, either, ouch, this is, Make it a hole in the end of my nose. This hurts. Mm -hmm. Back off. Or hey, I don't feel it on the end of my nose. I need to get my head back down. Those two things right there are going to prevent a myriad of issues. Now, when you start, you know, going back to the to the ripples and the and the roots that these uh, single errors can make that compound themselves. When you start to press down on the on the nose button or the string too hard, of course you are you are inducing additional tension into the string that could cause left and right, knock travel, additional up and down, knock travel. It can actually, if you're pressing too hard, I'm not going to, not going to say any names right now, but if you're pressing too hard with your nose, you can actually deflect the string, which causes left and right knock travel. But guess what else it does? It changes the alignment of the peep to the scope, right? So now you're going to get unexplained left and right misses that you have no idea how they're happening. Well, it's happening because the pope, the scope is set, but you're actually deflecting the peep because of your uh, nose pressure on the string. Well, as soon as you shoot the bow, that peep's not staying there. So you literally may have been lined up perfect, but you were intentionally misaligned.
0: Right. It's like, it's like having a front and rear gun sight and then, Purposely not centering the post and thinking that you're going to shoot on. I mean, that's basically right. what you're doing there, except this is subconsciously and instead of being on purpose. Yep, exactly. So I guess from from a from a weird kind of question from just thinking it this way. If this is such a great product, why hasn't anything like this been produced before? Because I know that guys used to tie serving on their string, and maybe they some of them still do in a knot. Right, and then right. they would use that little tiny knot, which is basically Similar concept, but what's what's the deal with that? Why why has anything like this come out before?
1: Well, so going to let me back up and and just say a couple of numbers, and I think it'll make itself exceptionally clear for you. <laughs> if the tip if the tip of the nose if if the tip of the if the point of the Bomar nose button is fifteen thousandths, mm-hmm. and the string, for argument's sake, is a ninety or ninety to a hundred thousandths. And you wrap a bunch of serving around the string, you're now going to be about (laughs) 130,000s. So if we already know that the more finite centering adjustment is going to be with a smaller diameter reference Uh on your nose, that's probably why some people will tie in a reference, and it is a reference, but it's a huge reference. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily going to help you on both axes. It may help you on the up and down axis, but it, it would probably hurt you long-term in the left and right axis. So that to me is why, that's why I've never used one. Um, and when I see them, that's the first thing I see is, man, that thing's huge.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not huge like a kisser button, but it's much larger. And they generally aren't using 10,000s halo. They're generally using a 30,000s braided material. Or a nylon hmm. so now it's more like 150 thousandths and so it just makes it extra wide so your ability to finitely align your nose directly in the middle of the string every time is going to be even harder than just the string itself
0: okay that makes sense because i've always seen guys have like these little um and i really haven't seen it i don't think i've actually ever seen it in person but you you can see a picture of it or you've heard about it and these guys are just tying a fine little knot there, and it's like, okay, I, I get what you're doing, but I don't know. I, I I didn't. I never really bought off on it. But um, it, for most of the people that I'm talking to, and I think this is probably just because it's it's harder to get a uh, horizontal alignment than it is to get too much pressure into the string. But most guys are getting left to right improvements over mm-hmm. the vertical. The the verticals are definitely there. I mean, and if you right. watch the, I forget who who made the video, but. He basically has it on a hooter shooter, and he pushes his finger in the string and makes and has the you know the phone aligned into the <laughs> housing, and <laughs> it's like holy crap, you know just just laying your finger on there. Imagine yeah. what your nose does. Um, but I feel like most guys are going to notice because head head alignment would be pretty hard, especially knowing you know. Look at people's groups. Long story short, look at people's groups. Right. Um, so, if you are noticing that. Horizontal. This will obviously cover that as well. I mean, we've yes, already we've it, already covered that.
1: It'll most definitely help. I mean, probably one of the probably one of the quickest feedbacks that I saw was from a buddy out in Georgia named Robbie Surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, he works at the uh, Social Circle Ace Hardware shop out there. Great guys, and uh, but Robbie, he has a, uh, his page is called Robbie Surface's Archery Journey. He basically called me, I don't know, a month ago, similar conversation as you. He's like, all right, bro, (laughs) nose button. What's good? What, what, like, what, what's the deal here? Is Mm -hmm. this, is this bullshit or what? So I talked to him for, you know, a few minutes and, and I was like, look, here's the thing. Explain the theories. He put it on and Robin hooded arrows at 40 yards back to back days. Really? Yes. Hmm. He's like, I get a text from him. This is no bullshit. <laughs> I get a text from him, and all this was after the after the first day he shot a Robin Hood, and Robbie's a good shot. Do not get it twisted. Robbie is a good shot. Robbie is not a pro. Robbie doesn't profess to be a pro. He is building up his shooting ability. Great guy. He is a good shooter. Not, he's not elite level, but he's working on it. So he sends me the first one. He's like, oh, you know, kind of cool. I get a text the next day. All it says is, I can't afford this shit.
2: <laughs> and
1: I'm like, and I'm thinking, well, like, and then literally two a minute later, I get a picture of him standing outside on a 3D deer, like 39 and a half yards. He has like three, three arrows in the 11, no, excuse me, two arrows in the 11, and one of them's got a Robin Hood on
0: it. That's pretty sick.
1: And I'm like... Oh, and he's like, yeah, he actually, I actually shared his, his first post with me where he was his first comment with me. I posted it on Bo Junkie and then, uh, Bomar Archery grabbed it. But, um, he literally was like, I I wasn't sure I was skeptical. I, you know, was like, really, is this really going to work? And he is absolutely convinced. And Mm. so, like I said, the amount of improvement for an archer, like Robbie is going to be exponentially more, more visible than it will be for Levi. Levi, he might go through an, like last weekend at the IBO. I didn't get a chance, or was that two weeks ago? Anyway, when he stomped a mud hole in everybody. Um, <laughs> when, uh, you know, did it help Levi that weekend? I don't know. I didn't ask him. But if it gives him confidence to know that that is one facet of his shot that he's not going to have to, worry about that weekend then yes it absolutely did
0: so you bring up an interesting point because the one thing that i've always been really hesitant about and it's all mental with this is uh i don't want to add something into my bow setup that i potentially may not take out in the woods and i'm going to feel deficient without it and not Mm -hmm. not confident so i haven't shot with a i just started recently shooting with the side uh back bar and I've been avoiding that because I don't want the extra weight for when I hunt deep into the into the woods. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, and I and and I don't want to have to feel like I have to have it And my hinge. I feel like I don't I don't have to have it, but I feel so much better and so much more confident when I use my hinge, like 100. percent right. Like I'll kick my own ass at pig every day if I use a hinge. <laughs> uh, right. And I don't want to feel like I have to have that, and that's been kind of holding me back from buying more and more things because I don't want to have to keep increasing the amount of gear to feel self competent know what I mean?
1: Well, to an extent, yes. At the same time, if you're super stoked about (laughs) slamming that one inch dot at 80 yesterday,
0: I was pretty happy about it.
1: How happy would you be if that would have been a elk or how, how happy would you have been if that would have been a giant blacktail out there at 85 yards that you might have been partially blocked by a tree. And it was a, I got to make this shot when it counts instead of a 17 yard, Broadside side feeding i can right. i could shoot this with my eyes closed so it's really about building confidence the amount of equipment that you put on your bow is directly proportional to how much confidence you've built into yourself going to, going out to the going out to shoot i like when i went hunting for moose two years ago i was i had to stop shooting my iron will broadheads at hashtag shameless plug but i like them those are great broadheads. No, I'm not officially with Iron Will in any way, but I, I love those heads. So, um, so I would, I was, I had to shoot different dots at 80 yards with these things, and I was shooting a lot at 100. Well, my fault, your fault, no one's fault. You just never know what'll happen. So I would take off my front stabilizer, shoot at 80. What did it do? Well, it aimed like shit. Mm-hmm. I can tell you this. Um, then I would take off my back stabilizer and put the front one on shoot at 80 yards. What did it do? It wasn't as easy, wasn't as easy to aim. It was a lot more work. Mm-hmm. Then I'd take them both off. Well, what did it do besides looking like my bow had dr- drank a pot of coffee?
2: <laughs> um,
1: all of those changed my impact point. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them, they changed how I held, they changed I would assume they changed the tune of my bow because I've seen that happen a bunch, but even with my, even where my pin was, it changed my impact point. Now, with that being said, every single one of those arrows, no matter what, were on a paper plate at 80 yards. And if I took off the front, I could tell you where I don't remember now because it's two years ago and I'm old, Mm -hmm. but I could take off my front stabilizer and I could tell you where on that paper plate it was going to hit when I executed a shot in the middle. Same for when I took, I do remember when I took off the back bar and was shooting just at the front bar, I was hitting straight low about four and a half inches. Hmm. That makes total sense to me. That's physics. That's what's going to happen unless I like lock my front arm and don't allow the bow to do what it wants to do. So you
0: took off the back bar and just shot with the front. Uh Yeah. That makes sense because your bow's getting pulled down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. I didn't create (laughs) physics. The apple did not fall on my head, but yes, that's exactly what happened. So, so I do things like that just so I know. So for you, yeah. So for you, whatever confidence you build into your rig doesn't have to go away. If you go into the field with, without a certain piece of equipment, what I would say is I don't go into the woods with a 30-inch stabilizer off the front and a 15 off the back with a scope eight inches out from my thing with a magnified lens either.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I'm slightly
1: I'm slightly modifying the best I can shoot. I am slightly modifying that to go hunt. Well, Mm -hmm. to what extent? Well, instead I'm running a 15 up front, not a 30, Mm -hmm. and I'm running a 12 out the back, not a 15, and I'm running much less weight. I still use a sight that moves. I don't use a lens but there are certain things that I will not compromise on. I did hike around the damn tundra and those tussocks tussocks are the (laughs) the hair-covered basketballs up there that roll my ankles every seven seven steps. Um, I walked all of that with a front bar and a side bar Hmm. because that adjustment was worth it to me. So those that kind of a setup has proved to me that it is valuable enough that I will make the consideration. I won't go up there with a 30 inch bar out front because there's a limit. There's a line. And so for me, yes, I could shoot better with a 30 inch stabilizer out front and a 15 out the back. No question. But let's be realistic. You're not walking across the tundra of Alaska with that. You're not going into a white tail stand with a 30 inch. So you're not doing that. So where is the line? And so, For me, I would say that taking that methodology to a less than two grain nose button that is going to allow you to be a better archer on paper and on foam, transitioning that to the hunting scenario is why it was created. And you asked me the question why no one's did it before. Um, I think it's one of those products where it's a, I call it a head slapper. Like when you see it, you just slap yourself in the head and you're like, God, like, really? <laughs> this, really? This, you, oh, God, I'm so stupid. Like, why didn't someone do this sooner? Like you said,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because people took for granted the available options and they underestimated the benefits. Hmm. Because when you see someone tie on a knock set on their string and put their nose on it, that is not an incremental improvement over just the string unless you have an issue with it and it does help you on one axis. So basically what Josh Bomar did was, first of all, he had the balls to put his money where his mouth is. Right. That's, that's it. Number one, uh, Josh had the balls to say, Hey, look, and Josh did, he went through the kisser buttons. He went through the the tied on things and he can, he continually noticed inconsistencies in himself. And no, Josh is not a professional shooter either. Um, but he is an absolute information sponge. That guy wants to know everything there is to know about, and he will call and ask. And I appreciate that dude's enthusiasm. He is, I I think he's Iron Man. He has one of those things in his chest because his level of energy is it's, it tires me out. He's, he's that energetic, but I love the guy for that energy and for that willingness to pursue an idea. And so basically he went through the process himself of failure. And let's be honest here. Failure is what creates most every product in the market today. Something's not working. So you'd make something that does something fails. You make, you make something better. So Josh went through the process with kisser buttons, tied on nose buttons and all this kind of stuff. And he continued to see the inconsistencies in himself. So what did he do? Hopefully he doesn't mind me saying this part. Is he 3D printed some.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And started messing with 3D printing. Well, you're not going to 3D print these at the precise kind of levels that you want to mass produce them at. But for the for the testing and the R&D, 3D printing is a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Once he proved his concept and he saw the consistencies in himself that the nose button provided, then he was like, oh, well, this is, this is actually better. This, this actually worked. Okay. Now what? Well, now you need to get a mold made and now, now, now you, now you get into money Mm -hmm. because, one of the reasons I'm in triple digits for NDAs is most people don't have or don't want to spend the money to invest in their own idea. What they want to do, and this is not a diss on them, this is just reality, is they want to take their idea to a company, they want that, in, that company to put, the, put up the money, and then they just want to get a royalty or they want to partner with the company, but they don't want to put up the money to get the product going. Right, yeah. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That's totally Okay. Josh Bomar, on the other hand, he has both the ability, the drive, and he had the confidence in his own product to say, you know what? I will pay for a mold. Molds are not cheap. And I'm going to bring this product to market for myself. He started Bomar Archery and boom. And so here, there you are. And so basically it just came from necessity. Josh wanted to be a better archer. and. Josh recognized his own shortcomings, and then he developed a product that allowed him to be a better archer, and then he started giving them out to a couple people and getting feedback, and when it started making other people a better archer, and then Levi Morgan shows up with it in Vegas, the right. biggest shoot in the world, oh, I think I'm on to something, and now can't make him fast enough.
0: Yeah, I know. I, God, yeah, I bet he sold thousands of those things because I just see everybody. I mean, I had over 30 comments. I'm like, I bet I, bet I got one or two comments on this thing. And um, I had like pretty quickly 30 comments on Instagram and pretty much all of them were like, yep, 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 yep. I'm like, I'll be damned. I'm behind the, the curve on this one. I've right. been putting this the, one behind to to
1: Right. Much. The only comment that I that I saw on Instagram, and I don't know whose post it was on, was someone said it's a crutch.
0: Yeah, I saw that. I'm yeah. like,
1: and so that's a slippery look, slope. <laughs> well, I I don't think it's slippery at all. I think it's a it, it's a it's a great opportunity for a real discussion. I I would so, uh,
0: yeah I would love to take part in that discussion because I think that's yeah. in, as a slippery slope. I'm like well anything above throwing a rock is a crutch you know
1: exactly. So the bubble and a sight crutch, crutch. Yep. A pin crutch. Let off arrow rest crutch. Yep. Uh, Everything's a, a release. A D loop. A peep site, they're all crutches if you want to go there. So I get his – I get the guy's basic intent. However, um, there are purists, and then there are people that just want to hate on the internet. And I'm not dissing the guy, but there are purists. And if that guy would have been like, I only shoot a homemade wooden bow – with elk sinew strings that I make myself. Mm-hmm. I whittle my own arrows. I make my own broadheads and I capture turkeys <laughs> and I make my own feathers. <laughs> hey dude, I would literally be like, good for you, brother. Right. Good for you. No problems. However, when you're shooting up a, a bow with carbon fiber limbs and a machine metal riser and all of the, it's not a, it's, it's a piece of gear. Yeah. And, going back to what we talked about earlier, it's a piece of gear, not a gadget and not a gimmick. It's a piece of gear that actually works and makes people better for not a lot of money. Right. It's never going to wear out. I mean, unless you have a tight, you know, unless you have a titanium nose, if you're yeah. Wolverine and have, I don't know what the hell metal he had inside of him, but you get the point. Probably unobtainium. unobtainium right. <laughs> or, if you're, well, or, or Joby Shaw, did tell me that he went to he went to play with the diameter of the end of the spike and he melted the whole thing down to a nub and threw it away. <laughs> so, if you're Joby and you just discovered fire, um, I love Joby. He's a great kid. But if you're Joby and you just discovered fire, you may wear one out, but it's going to last forever for twenty bucks. Yeah, you you can't put on a ten dollar D loop and have it last right forever, but you can buy a set of. BOMAR nose buttons for like, what, 20 bucks. And it comes with both sizes, whatever color you want. And they put, you're never going to wear it out. So, um, I, I mean, I've been impressed, you know, like I said, I've seen a ton of products in my career and I've seen a ton of gimmicks. Well,
0: we talked about stabilizers and we had this conversation. This is kind of where I want to, um, put the conversation. And as we bring it to a close, is the crossover stabilizer another product that I get asked about quite frequently. It was a the cliv- it was the crossover stabilizer, the telescopic.
1: Never, never heard of crossover. Okay.
0: So it? it's a telescopic stabilizer that basically it's got kind of like a leg of a tripod where you can undo certain sections and make it longer or make okay. it shorter. Um, and, you know, I got asked about the quivalizer, tested that out. It was cool. Um, you know, user preference there. I didn't really care for it a, a lot, but and then now I'm getting asked all the time about the the crossover and I just – I that's one that I've kind of stuck in a stand on the mic and I don't know the guys either and I've never shot one. But I think after initial setup, it's it's borderline gimmicky depending on how much weight you have on the front end of your stabilizer. You and I just talked about changing weights, changing mm-hmm. stabilizer lengths and having right. a longer stabilizer maybe for a longer shot and you're like, oh, okay. So here's the reason I'm, I'm hearing is it's really cool super brushy, you can suck that thing in super long shots out in the open, open desert. You can telescope that thing out. I'm like, okay, well, what about your point of impact? <laughs> what, okay. what are you doing here? Like, cause that, you know, depending on the, if you don't have any weight out front, yeah, I guess it won't really matter if you're just shooting a three ounce stabilizer with no weight on the end of it. I don't know. But if you right. have four ounces of weight, six ounces of weight in your, say a six inch stabilizer, and then you shove that thing out to say 15, that's going to make a difference, and I don't care. I mean, I I mean, I don't know what the difference that would make is. I know that it'd probably yeah. be at least a few inches, at least a few inches at 80.
1: Um, well, like I said, I, I've never heard of it. I've never seen it, but Specialty Archery had had the Super Sticks telescoping stabilizer for 25 years. Hmm. So that's not new, um, and it's not still around for a reason. Really? Um, yeah. See, I, I never I don't heard of that. Yeah, I don't I don't well it's a it was a tournament thing. Oh. So okay. if you were in the tournament world, you most certainly heard of it. Randy Tucker down in Reading shot one for the longest time. Um but and and look, I I don't I've I've never seen this one. I don't know the guys from the company at all. I don't wanna come off like a dick. Um but however, caveat with all due respect, <laughs> um it, it that's not how it works. Period. It's not how stabilizer works. It's not how stabilization works. That's not how nodal responses work. Um, That's not how uh, effectively implementing moments of inertia to resist the rotational deflection of the bow before that twisting movement affects the arrow. That's not how any of it works. Like that literally says that the apple that fell out of the tree did not hit Sir Isaac Newton on the head. It stopped above it and hovered Mm -hmm. and waited for him to move and then fell to the ground no that's not how it works either that is that is some some neo there is no spoon type stuff (laughs) so um so there's a myriad of things to 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 unwrap about what you just said and so so first of all the the purpose of the stabilizer is obviously to help the archer hold the bow better Right. And we all know that when it comes to, you know, computating actual leverage, it's length of length of the lever arm times the moments of inertia. So if you have a 10 inch stabilizer with 10 ounces of weight on the end, you have 100 inch ounces of leverage. However, if the connection point of the moments of inertia is not connected properly to the bow on the shot during the first quarter cycle of of when the bow loads the moments of inertia are going to resist that movement of the bow and the stabilizer until the arrow's gone. And so you can actually see in in slow motion video that stabilizer will, will load like similar to the archer's paradox. Okay. When you go to shoot the arrow flexes before it's even out of the bow. Well, the stabilizer will start to react before the arrows out of the bow as well. And the moments of inertia, the weight on the end, their job is to resist that movement until the arrow's out of the bow. Problem is, is when you have a lever arm that is not rigid enough in both its, mecha- in both its mechanical function and its attachment to the bow, you are going to get adverse conditions affecting the arrow, mainly uh, in the rotational deflection uh, aspect. And for those of you that don't know what rota- rotational deflection is, next time you're, you're shooting, knock an arrow and then look down the arrow and see where your dot or your pin is generally speaking for a left-handed shooter, the pins are on the left side of the arrow. But when you come to full draw, the pins are directly on top of the arrow, Hmm. that measurement, how much that bow has loaded rotationally because of, of the cams, because of the cable rods, because of the hand coming in from the left side. If you're a left, if you're a right-handed shooter, all of those things are inducing that torque into the system, that measurement is called rotational deflection. Hmm. And so when you go to draw that bow and that rotational deflection loads up, as soon as the release goes click, the bow wants to go back to its static position. So it wants to recover that measurement of rotational deflection. The only thing resisting that is the moments of inertia on the end of the stabilizer until the arrow is gone. So if you have a compromised lever arm, a lever arm that's not stiff enough, Or a lever arm that is compromised in its nodal response, meaning uh, if you have and what will be basically described as an articulated stabilizer, because there's going to be a collar of some sort in the middle to allow it to get shorter and longer, Mm -hmm. like a tripod leg, Mm -hmm. uh, the stabilizer itself is not going to load and resist that movement the same way. Because first of all, the connection point in the middle is going to be the weak spot. It's going to be continually weaker from that point out to the end. So what's going to happen is the front end of that stabilizer, probably about an inch to two inches maybe in front of the connection point, is going to be flexing much more than the back part
2: Hmm.
1: because of the diameter changes, because of all that. I don't know what level modulus of carbon they're using, but in that sort of an articulated stabilizer setup, I just don't think you're going to be able to get to where you need to get to, a, to encompass the truest de- definition of what a stabilizer is going to be. So now, as far as changing the lengths go, and what I was talking about, you know, uh, shooting with no stabilizers and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. If you lengthen that stabilizer for an open shot, you are going to be pulling down on the fr- front of the bow. So you are going to have to induce more tension and pressure into your hand to compensate for that, right? That's just a fact. Now, when you go to do that, the tune of your bow is going to come into play because if you have enough weight out there and you move it far enough, you are potentially going to affect your cam timing. You're going to affect your heel pressure, which if you lengthen it out with more weight, you're going to have more heel pressure because it's not because you're inducing it because the bow is going to be rotating into your hand. You could be adversely affecting knock travel. There's lots of things that could potentially happen. If you want to maintain the same impact point, you would have to do one of two things. You would either have to literally grab the bow and stiff arm it to make sure that the bow was not allowed to react the way the stabilizer is trying to get it to react, or you would have to have different weight setups and you would have had to take two of those. You would have had to screw them together back to back, add the weights on the end, one longer, one shorter, and determine which has the same balance point. And to describe that is fairly simple. If you have a 10 inch stabilizer with 10 ounces on it, you have a hundred inch ounces of leverage and that's going to balance accordingly. If you then move to a 33 inch stabilizer, and you put three ounces on the end of a 33 inch stabilizer, you are then going to have 99 right. inch ounces of leverage. So from a balance point perspective, they're going to be very, very similar in the amount of leverage that they're exerting on the bow. Problem is you have all kinds of mass weight considerations. You There are other factors that come into play. The, the fulcrum of the entire system as it rotates on your hand and I'm not sure if this was the exact answer you were looking for, but it's the answer you're getting. Um, no, so. I, I
0: just really wanted to, to I mean, because I, my um, pushback against that product about, you know, and I should test it being a gear guy, I should, I should test it and actually form a hands-on opinion. But I've been almost, I've been more firm against not testing that product out as I have been about the nose button because it's just in my head, I'm like, well, if it's meant to be telescoping out between shots, that's just, silly to me right it's Correct. initial setup and having an unli- uh, basically an unlimited amount of uh adjustability between sucked in and all the way out you can have it anywhere mm. in between which i i think is kind of cool but again is that going to do the same job as what my spider 10 inch is going to do with reducing uh vibration and, and, and everything that you just mentioned i'm like i just don't see it doing that but again as a gear guy i in my opinion, I probably should test it out. And if the crossover guys want to come on to the podcast, not that they're listening to this, but anybody riding in that crossover, uh, product, I guess, wants to come onto the podcast and talk about it, I'm happy to have them. But at this point, mm-hmm. I mean, I get this question fairly often. Um, at this point, I'm not, I'm not interested in it, but
1: yeah, well, I mean, and look, I, stabilizers kind of my gig, um, you know, uh, and so I've been, immersed in this for a long, long time. And from a stabilizer aspect, um, if that worked, the specialty one would have, would have been a thing. Mm. Um, I tested the the specialty one years ago and um, it, I I will just say without trying to be disrespectful at all, that design from inception is flawed. Okay. That's fair. That's That's, that's, That's all there is to it. If you want to get to a pure stabilization aspect as it pertains to the overall system, because a lot of the problems that I see today, and it's kind of weird, you know, when Blair and I, you know, blew up B stinger and we pretty much changed the entire stabilizer industry. Um, <laughs> there wasn't, there wasn't any of this information out there. So I hit the road and did all of this. So I, you know, I've seen all of this and now it's what, 10, 11 years later. And I see people making the same mistakes they were making 10 years ago, when I spent two years of my life touring, doing seminars, and educating people. So Mm -hmm. there's kind of a drop-off there. Um, But fundamentally, people right now are not necessarily understanding or appreciating the impact of what changes in stabilization, types of stabilization, uh, how they impact the actual mechanical function of the bow, Mm -hmm. and in addition to how they allow the archer to do their part. And yeah. it's, it's, it's frustrating. It's not frustrating enough for me to hit the road and do it all over again. Cause I'm <laughs> too old for that shit. Um, but, uh, I see it and those who ask me, I, I explain. Um, but the physics have not changed. Bows have not changed that much, uh, you know, to require a difference in philosophy. I mean, there are, you know, this is another thing that, that led to, uh, you know, that design being fundamentally flawed is, The geometry of the bow is directly proportional to the type of stabilization you need period if you are shooting a pse style extremely past parallel limbs with that geometry you have to run a certain style of stabilization if you're running a matthews there's only a couple styles of stabilization that you can run depending on the geometry of the bow the style of the shooter there's so many things that affect the you know the stabilization that's needed per platform and per shooter, that you know, you just the physics has not changed, and that's all I'll say about that.
0: I've been trying to get Sean from Spider to come on because I, I like Sean. He's I I think he's a great guy, and I like his product and stuff. And he's a local Oregon boy, and mm-hmm. and I like supporting Oregon businesses. But um, we we might have to do another episode with you talking about stabilization because there've been a ton of questions about a just a regular hunting guy trying to get into this sidebar shit and, and, you know, right. have you know, so that might be another uh, podcast that you and I might have to do there. Cause um, right. I, I'm just starting to hit that, that back bar game and and I like it, but at the same time, it's like, okay, you know, at what point am I, um, cause right now I'm running a 10 inch with a quick disconnect. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like 11 uh, and then I'm running an eight inch on the back. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty close to, I'm like 10 degrees off this way and like three degrees off that way, if I remember uh, three degrees off that way. And I'm pretty close to zero, zero. So I'm not very outside of the realms of being extreme outer or in, I'm like right. thinking, and what I, and how I set it up is, is, um, this is like I said, this is a whole nother podcast, but I set it up basically doing the same way that I do a peep, you know, I drew back and then I just anchor in and then look at where my bubble was and where it naturally wanted to be. And that's how I did it. Not knowing any better. I'm like, not just, that just, that's,
1: yeah, that is the, the best way to do it is to blind draw. I mean, obviously if you're, if you're using a, a a bow quiver, you need to have your bow quiver on. You need to have all your arrows in it. Yeah. Um, That's what I did. You know, and all of that stuff matters. The, the, the the sight you're using matters. If Mm -hmm. you're using a, a super light one versus a, a, a beefy one, uh, having all those arrows in there, but yeah, the, the sidebar in and out all that needs to be is to allow you to draw your bow and not have to manually induce yep. any force into the bow to get the bubble in the middle. Yeah. That so, makes
0: sense. I mean, you're talking to a guy that shoots with all but one arrow in his quiver and I have a whole stack of them right there because I want that to be because I'm that's my first shot on an animal and I'm like, that's the right. exact weight my bow is going to be. I mean, I am so yep. retentive on that. Um, I mean, so yeah, well, I'm glad I, I'm glad I did that correctly. Cause I'm like trying to do this journey, part of my stabilization. And I'm like, man, this just makes sense. Why don't I do it like that? I can't think of any negative effects, but it sounds like I'm doing it right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but, uh, yep. all right, man. Well, I, I appreciate your time. And, um, is there anything you want to add here? Any, any shout outs or Instagram handles you want to give people? I'm sure.
1: No, man, we're good. I think everybody <laughs> out there that follows me knows where to find me on Instagram. It's just number four, big GP Uh, on Facebook. It's just Greg Mm pool. And uh, you know, obviously we do the Bo junkie thing. Uh, We do the AAE thing. And uh, you know, uh, I have just uh, been a huge fan of the relationships that have gotten me where I am today. And you know, all I would say to everybody out there is just remember, nobody, not me, not Levi, nobody got where we are alone.
2: Oh yeah. We all had
1: help. We all had a support system. We all have relationships that helped us get to where we're going. So, uh, yeah, man, come on over. Uh, if you want to follow me on my on my personal social media, um, just be aware. It is my personal social media, and I discuss uh, not so much my personal life, but I certainly discuss my personal opinions about current affairs in our country, and the world. So uh, if you are triggered easily, either come on over, and uh, you will be the – some comic relief or come on over and uh all all opinions are welcome um obviously we are spirited debaters on my personal page uh i appreciate a spirited debater and uh i just believe that even in 2020 uh adulting is still a thing and you can have a spirited debate and uh walk away without taking it personally not everybody can do that of course but uh I'm a firm believer in it. Your personal you. Instagram page has been one of my favorites to follow
0: since about the I don't know first month of the corona. <laughs> it's it's just I just creep it all the time, and I'm just reading and I'm just reading the comments. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, well, you know, we got to uh, uh. we have to have these discussions in order for uh, people out there to get um, not just educated on it, but to at least be aware, mm-hmm. um, making the decision to not care about something is totally okay. Um, Caring about something, but being willfully ignorant, that's a whole nother matter. And so if you're educated on it, whether you agree with me or not, that's totally cool. Um, But look, man, we're all in this together, um, especially in this, uh, you know, in this facet of things, outdoors, um, the outdoor industry, archery, the outdoor lifestyle, no matter what your political beliefs are, um, when we come together here, we're here for the outdoors. We're here for archery, and that's all that matters.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to leave you with this: is uh, maybe you can post about it. Is you know everybody wants to defund the police. I say we defund mainstream media. And I told my wife about that. She's like, "That's stupid." I'm like, "I think it's fucking." awesome. And I think it's funny and I think that should be a catchy hashtag. So maybe you can make it take off.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and, and I'm, I'm of the opinion that Donald Trump needs to instruct the FCC to start uh, revoking the licenses to broadcast from news organizations that intentionally post false stories or lie. That would only happen once. One time. If someone went to turn on CNN and it said license has been revoked for 72 hours, that shit would never happen again.
2: I
0: just having, I mean, and that go, that would go for Fox, CNN, MSNBC, all, any of them. I mean, pretty any much any all of them, but one is owned probably by Warren Buffett. I mean, we're so far off a rabbit hole here, but um, <laughs> I mean, it is it is uh, incredible how influential. Yes, and you know, if news can apply pressure and change, um, you know, news news should just be reporting. It shouldn't be applying pressure where they want to see it and. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's my personal opinion on it is I don't listen to any of it because I want to form my own opinion. And if I want to go get a fact, I'll go research it. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I don't want somebody. If I want to lie, if I want to be lied to, I'll turn on the TV. How about that?
1: <laughs> well, it was Denzel Washington said in that red carpet interview, if you don't watch the news, you are uninformed. And if you watch the news, you are misinformed. <laughs> that's,
0: that's well put. <laughs> So, all right, brother. All right, Good right. T- talking to
1: you, man. All right. See ya. All
0: right, buddy. Bye. All right, guys. That's this episode of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you, Greg, for coming onto the show and giving us tons of information on the, on the nose button and then ending it off with stabilizers. We'll definitely have you back on as well, my man. So uh, outside of that, guys, if you haven't yet and you want to support the show, there's three or four different ways you can do it. You can leave us an iTunes review, a Podbean review, or you can become a Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash onpointpodcast, or you can go to the onpointpodcast.com and give us your email with, for the uh, future newsletter, which is going to have discount codes on products that either I use, have tested, or believe in, and also updates on the content that I have coming out. Haven't done it yet, but it is coming, so be aware of that. Outside of that, guys, appreciate you for listening, and I will see you on the next one. Bye.